But if I could rock your theological noodle, I submit to you that my Bible teaches me that God is pro-choice also. This lead pastor told his entire congregation that when it comes to legislation specifically, God is entirely pro-choice. He says the Bible actually teaches this, and he just wishes people would read the Bible more because then they could see it for themselves. Yes, God's pro-life in some sense, he says, but in another sense, he's entirely pro-choice. This is the clip. We're going to discuss it in detail and show how ironic this Bible verse is that he's using because it means the opposite of what he says. God is pro-life. He says, I'll come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. But if I could rock your theological noodle, I submit to you that my Bible teaches me that God is pro-choice also. How could you say that? He said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. The Old Testament says, I have set before you life and death. Therefore, I'm not going to legislate the answer for you. Therefore, choose life that both you, oh, I wish I had some Bible readers in the building. You and your descendants may live. Let me summarize his claims now and then show you how the Bible verse he picked is hugely ironic because in a sense, it says the opposite of what Pastor Mike from Radiant Church in Seattle, Washington says that it says. So the vague claims in his video, the quick summary, right, is that God is both pro-life and pro-choice, which is which is strange because, yeah, okay, but he supposedly God is both pro-life and pro-choice, and he's pro-life because there's a verse in the Bible that says, I've come that you may have life and life abundantly. Now this is, uh, I'm not going to spend time on this one, but John 10, 10, Jesus is talking here, and it's a, it's a bit of a clumsy pro-life verse. I don't usually hear it used by pro-lifers. If we're trying to make a biblical case for the pro-life cause, which I think can actually be made very, very strongly, very strongly, verses that show that that life begins, you know, here inside the womb at the earliest stages, that's a human life. Um, you can do that. There's lots of verses for that. Or you could talk about how you can't just kill innocent humans, you know, the reason being because they're made in the image of God, that this is something reinforced in Scripture throughout but I mostly want to talk about the next part. You know, this isn't about my case for pro-life. This is really just, is he actually using the Bible correctly in this verse? He says that God is actually pro-choice in addition to being pro-life here, right? And the reason is Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Let's look at this verse together. This verse shows God is pro-choice when it comes to legislation, where it says here, therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. So the idea here is, hey, you're, you're choosing life. You're, you're, you have the ability to choose to kill your kids, and that's important to be protected, but, you know, with abortion, but you you should choose life. So we're, we're going to encourage people to choose life, but we're going to legislate that they can abort. That, that would be Pastor Mike's view, at least as I understand it. You could replay the clip and look at it and see. I think that's his point here. There's three really significant problems with his total abuse of the scripture here. And, and you know, here... You know, with this with this channel, I care about thinking biblically about everything, about examining the context of a passage, thinking about its real meaning, and making sure that we're following underneath the leading of Scripture, not trying to lead Scripture to follow wherever we want to go. So there's three major problems. The first one is the equivocation problem. Uh, that's when you use the same word to mean two different things in the same basic idea, the same sentence, so that people get confused and they, they don't understand that you're misleading them. The word choose is in this verse, the word choose and life. He takes this to mean that God is pro-choice. Choose doesn't mean pro-choice. It's not like you can just find any Bible verse that says choose and God's supporting choice, choice in that scenario. Therefore, God is pro-choice because the, the, the slogan of the pro-choice movement is we're for choice. These are different ideas being discussed. You're going into the text of Deuteronomy with questions about pro-choice, pro-life political issues 
And that's not actually what's being dealt with here. We will deal with what's being dealt with here in detail, which leads me to the second problem. So the first problem was the equivocation problem. The second problem I will call the making stuff up problem. The issue here, if you haven't noticed it, is that Pastor Mike quotes one verse, part of one verse, really out of the context of the rest of the Bible and teleports it into a pro-choice, pro-life debate without any sort of justifications, right? He preaches well, don't get me wrong. The man, just the way he expresses, like it's it's a skillful homiletic or the, the skillful ability to preach. But it's really just no careful studies needed, no contextual understandings required. It's just a Bible verse where God tells people to choose and therefore God is pro-choice. This is um, how weird teaching gets spread throughout the church, how people get confused about the Bible. We're not reading it in context. You know, read a whole chapter, read multiple chapters, read a whole book. This is going to solve most of the problems of people misusing the Bible is just reading more of it so that people can't do that to you. I'll explain this one in more detail now as we go to problem number three, because problem number three is the, I'm going to call it the, this passage means the exact opposite of what you said problem. <laughs> okay, here's the clip again, and I want you to recognize, I'll put the, the, the verse on screen here with you, and I'll play his clip. Notice what he adds to the verse. The Old Testament says, I have set before you life and death. Therefore, I'm not going to legislate the answer for you. Therefore, choose life that both you, oh, I wish I had some Bible readers in the building. You and your descendants may live. He adds the phrase, I'm not going to legislate the answer for you. Now, I'm not suggesting here that Pastor Mike has added to the Bible, like to trick his congregation to think that that phrase was in the text. This can be okay, right? Let's just assume that that was not his intention. I don't think it was. But this can be okay. This thing where you read a verse and you insert your own interpretation into the middle of it as a way of adding clarity, as a way of giving people context so that they can understand the point of the passage, right? This can be an okay thing to do for clarity, but the rule is that you're only adding what the context has made clear so that the people who are listening can understand how that verse fits into the greater passage. You're only adding what the context of the passage has made clear. So what does the context say? I mean, he said he wished he had some Bible readers in the building. Oh, I wish I had some Bible readers in the building. Good idea. Let's do that. This is, this is exactly what we need. We do need more Bible readers in the building. So here we go. Here's a quick rundown of the context of Deuteronomy 30 and the choose life verse that he's using as a pro-choice verse. So the first thing we'll notice as we dig into the context is that this phrase, choose life, is not about abortion at all. In the context, the passage has a very different but very significant moment in Israel's history that is really, really foundational to the very function of the nation itself. This is a really important verse, important passage of scripture. So it's in it's at this moment where they've wandered for 40 years through the wilderness after they left Egypt, and now they're about to enter the promised land, and God is giving them his laws, his rules, and he's making a covenant with them. And this is what happens at the end of that covenant, where after God lays it out, he's like, hey, choose life. But we need to understand chapters 27 through 30 of Deuteronomy, this whole section of four chapters is all relevant to that one verse. It's all really one section. So it's all about, ironically, legislation. God is actually legislating in ancient Israel. He is led. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, the, the pro-life people are right about legislation. I would build an argument for that in a different way. But I would like to point to you that this passage is about legislation. So chapter 27, verses 9 and 10 makes that clear. Here it says, Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Right? They're, they're, they're stepping into the promised land, a new nation under God's blessings, hopefully his blessings, possibly his curses. 
You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, statutes which I command you today. This sets the entire context for this whole thing that's happening up through Deuteronomy chapter 30, the very verse that Pastor Mike read. It's God giving him his laws. In fact, much of Deuteronomy is this sort of retelling of the law to the new generation heading into the promised land and making them promise they're going to keep it. That's, in other words, the context isn't, I won't legislate it for you. Like, this is not the context. It is exactly the context of God is legislating it for you. So Deuteronomy 29 verses 12 and 13 gives us a bit more detail on that. He says, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord God is making with you today, that same day where choose life is, is said, that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. It is, it is a law affirmed by a covenant. Here's all the rules. And now you're making a promise like a contract you're going to keep these things, and I'm going to bless you if you keep them, and if you don't, something else is going to happen. That's the context of this passage. There are rules, in other words. God is legislating how they have to live, and, they're, and he's requiring them to do it. Then an interesting thing happens. There's a series of what-if scenarios in this passage, in this ultimate passage, Deuteronomy 27 through 30. These what-if scenarios are functioning this way. Uh, Moses takes half of the tribes, and he puts them on one side of a hill, takes the other half, puts them on the other side of the hill. And one half calls out blessings and one calls out curses. And it's like, hey, if you do this, if you honor me, if you do, if you bring the tithe in, if you do all these things as Israel, then blessings, blessings, blessings. And then it's like, but if you do these other things and you rebel against me and you and you burn your children in the fire, that's one of the things they weren't allowed to do, which was sort of a, a, a post-birth, you know, get rid of your kids procedure that they did um, that was religious and pagan in nature. And he says, yeah, don't do that. If you do that, you're going to be cursed. So all these things that you might do, you will end up being cursed, blessed, and cursed. This is it's really interesting. One side of on the on the hill shouts out the blesses, blessings, the other side shouts out the curses. They all yell amen to these things. So let's look at Deuteronomy 27, which gives us a bit more clarity on this. Deuteronomy 27 actually talks a little bit about this, how they stood on these different hills. That day, Moses charged the people saying, when you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on the on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curses, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice. And you can see how it begins. Cursed be the man who what? Does these particular things that are against God's law. And then there's blessings if you do the things that God wants you to do. What does that mean about our context for this passage? It means that the phrase choose life was not, I won't legislate these things. You have to choose. That, that, that's exactly what Pastor Mike said it was. I'm not going to legislate the answer for you. Instead, what God is saying in context is, I have legislated these things. And if you don't obey, you'll actually get divine judgment. Look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 45. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. I have legislated. And if you don't do it, then there's going to be curses. Deuteronomy 28, verses 58 and 59 also reinforces this. Here it is. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, uh, severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. Do you get the context? 
The, the whole thing in context is saying something entirely different than what the pastor was using it for. And we should care about this because we're taking the holy word of God and we're abusing it to our political agendas that aren't really supported by scripture. This is the Bible taken out of context to lead the people down a path that God is not leading us down. So here we go, Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. It says, see, I have set before you. Now, this is the actual verse in context. Now that you have the background. I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, right? The blessings and the curses. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, that's legislation, that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by keeping in, walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you, what? Life and death, blessings and curse through his legislation and the promises about how he'll enforce it. Therefore, choose life because I have legislated it so <laughs> that you and your offspring may live. This is not about abortion. It does relate to legislation in a sense. It's not modern legislation about abortion. I'm not suggesting that. It just means the opposite. In, in any way it relates to Pastor Mike's statements, it means the opposite of those things. The whole thing is legislation, divine legislation. If you don't obey it, you'll suffer, you'll die. This, at least to the Israelites. We're not under the law. We're not under the same covenant. But that was what it was for them. It's not a rebuttal against legislation. It has nothing to do with the overturning of Roe v. Wade or any of those things. It's irrelevant. This is a hijacking of Scripture for an agenda that's not related to Scripture. Now, I don't doubt for a second that Pastor Mike is sincere, that he really thinks he's leading the people in glorious truths. It's so sad that a pastor who sits in a pulpit, who stands on a stage, who's the lead pastor of his church, is so ignorant about the context of the very verses he's quoting that he doesn't see the complete contradiction in what he's doing. But this does happen. And it's why you need to read the Bible and you got to read it in context so that you don't get misled. This passage isn't about abortion. It's it's just has really nothing to do with the topic. Now, there's two reasons why this is actually a really big deal. The first is the purpose of this Bible verse and this teaching from Scripture being taken and distorted. And that is so that you can support the idea of murdering the innocent, of taking the lives of the innocent and, and having it so that the government protects the ability to do such. This is a sad and terrible thing. It's something that is that is done here on on the pul in the pulpit from the from the stage in the name of Christ with supposedly God's endorsement. This is the way people have abused God's name throughout history. It's happening here again. The second major problem with this is that the mishandling of the Bible becomes a habit. It really does become a habit. This is a total mishandling of scripture. It's done very badly, but it's done with music. Did you notice the guitar and the keyboard playing beautifully? That that the the the, the homiletics or the the good speech, the smooth speech. I mean, like it's enjoyable to listen to this pastor talk. Like he's got that talking skill, you know, that feels good. I remember me in homiletics class years and years ago, just thinking, I don't really care about this homiletic stuff. <laughs> and I'm glad it's worked out for me, okay, since I decided not to care about it. But it turns into a bad habit, right? Your, your congregation can't honestly tell when someone else gives them false teaching. And you might think, maybe Pastor Mike thinks, it's okay, they have me. I'm the one they can trust. I will guide them in the way. Yeah, but, but you're not the good shepherd. Jesus is. 
what you've done is you've you've taken away their ability to understand the scripture in context. You've primed them for false teaching by giving them verses that are misused so that when someone else does it, they're not ready for it then either. They can't tell the difference, especially if it's done with preachy sounding words and nice pretty music attached to it. Now, if you guys see other videos that you're thinking maybe I might do a response, look, I'm not promising anything, but you can tag me on Twitter with a video where it's like a little clip, a short clip where someone takes the Bible out of context and you'd like some context restored, go ahead and tag me in that. We'll see what happens. I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and my goal is to help you learn how to think biblically about everything.